Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have Biomechanics on Our Minds. We are excited to be talking with Dr. Carrie Costello. Carrie is a postdoctoral fellow at Boston University Movement and Applied Imaging Lab, and she's also the host of a podcast I really enjoy called Hey OA, which is a podcast she started through the Osteoarthritis Research Society International, or ORSI. So thanks so much for being here, Carrie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you both today. Yeah, we're excited too. And we've talked previously about how your work has spanned different topic areas and kind of circling back to osteoarthritis. And it's taken you to a lot of different places around the world. And I'm really excited to get to that in a bit. But first, can you take us back to the time that you first realized that you wanted to be a scientist? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if there's an exact moment. Um, I do have this kind of funny, distinct memory of when I was a kid and I was eating a uh, waffles and I guess I had taken the syrup and put it like in every like diagonal square on the waffle and my parents were looking I have no idea how old I was but my parents were looking at me and they were like oh maybe you're going to be an engineer or something um, so I don't think that was when I decided to be a scientist but I, I think I was interested in in that kind of stuff from an early age and uh, liked Legos and Canucks and all those sorts of toys and then when I started getting into high school, um, I really liked uh, my math and science classes. And then as I started thinking about college, I was also interested in the medical field. And uh, my mom had the nice advice to uh, not do a pre-med program only, just in case I changed my mind at the end of it um, and wanted to go a different direction. Uh, so I, I settled on biomedical engineering, which I think sort of combined all my interests in math and science and medicine. And then because of the school I went to was a lot of focus in that department in, um, on imaging and like cell and tissue stuff. I uh, also double majored in mechanical engineering because I was really interested in biomechanics. So that's Mm. It's kind of the story of how I got into biomechanics, um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of interest in math and science and and playing around with systems and things. I love that a lot of people like um, you know tell like sort of a winding path story, but don't necessarily have like a key moment or like you know an indicative moment. But I love the waffle moment. Of, like, yeah. <laughs> like, Maybe that is a good career yeah. path for me. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that I have such a distinct memory of sitting at our of kitchen that, table yeah. with the waffles. <laughs> I'm a big waffle fan. Um, well, thanks for thanks for sharing that with us, Carrie. Could you give us a brief overview of what you're currently working on now? Sure. Um, so I don't know. Well, I know uh, Melissa knows some stuff about osteoarthritis, but um, I think in general, for those who don't know, osteoarthritis is kind of an interesting disease because there's a large mechanical component to it. So the forces or loading that the joint is experiencing um, has been associated with the disease process. So that's kind of the general area that my research focuses on. Um, I've kind of gone through a bunch of different studies during my PhD, looking at how different components of gait, whether that's joint moments or EMG, um, or even looking at some physical activity metrics from accelerometer data are related to OA progression or whether there's worsening structural damage in the joint or people are reaching a clinical outcome like a total knee replacement. 
Uh, but what I've been working on most recently in my postdoc is using machine learning to try to answer some of these questions because one of the issues that we have is that a lot of these different components of joint loading are related to each other, so not independent. I mean, even if we're thinking about our three-dimensional knee joint moments, you know, we represent those as three independent things, but they're actually all a component of the same same load or the same force. Mm. Um, so we're trying to use machine learning because that allows us to investigate these relationships without having to specify all of those underlying relationships mm -hmm. among the predictor variables. And that, that could even include things like a body mass index or age or sex, which could be related to physical activity or gait as well, um, and could also affect osteoarthritis progression on their own, regardless of what's going on with the biomechanics. That's so interesting. I think osteoarthritis progression is such a huge question, and there's definitely so many different variables that contribute to that. So it's really cool to see you sort of take this approach that's integrating all a range of different variables that could be affecting it and relating to each other. And when you're saying osteoarthritis progression, how, um, I guess there's like a number of ways to sort of measure that too. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you're also integrating imaging with that or what are some of the, you know, you could also consider pain if, if pain's getting worse and symptoms and symptoms aren't always related to structure. Mm -hmm. So progression itself is kind of an interesting question to look at. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've done a few different studies looking at different mm -hmm. outcomes. Um, they clearly do seem to be different uh, in terms of what gait metrics are associated with them. I actually had done mm -hmm. uh, one of the studies I did during my PhD looked at uh, baseline joint moments and EMG patterns that were related to progression. Um, first, we did it looking at structural progression, and then we did it in the same sample looking at total knee or progression to a uh, clinical outcome, which was our total knee arthroplasty mm. or knee joint replacement. And we actually found slightly different results in terms of which measures were associated with progression. And so I think that is a really interesting question and definitely something to keep in mind. Um, some of the more recent studies I've been doing have been using some MRI features like cartilage worsening um, in like area or depth worsening uh, as an outcome measure, um, which may be some of those uh, MRI-based features are a little bit more closely related to pain and other symptoms. Um, I think we acknowledge in the OA community that x-rays are not a great measure, although we're still using those for a lot of things. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. It's really interesting, and I'm excited to keep following your work on that. One thing that we haven't really talked about much on the podcast that we would love to chat with you about are postdocs. Um, and so... Mm -hmm. First, we we're wondering why you decided to do a postdoc and also maybe how you found your first postdoc. We talked about this and it's a pretty interesting mm -hmm. story. <laughs> yeah, so I think as I was finishing my PhD at the end of you know five and a half years of, of working on the same kind of general area, I wouldn't say that I was getting tired of it, but I think I was a little bit burnt out and I wasn't totally sure that I wanted to stay in academic research. And I thought that doing a postdoc might be a good way to try something a little bit new in terms of my research direction, try working um, with a new group and kind of like reinvigorating my uh, interest in, in the research field and in academic research. So I started looking around, um, I guess, in the more 
traditional way. So at conferences, I was talking to people and they're like, how are you doing? How's your PhD coming along? And I'm telling them, you know, like, it's good. I'm kind of getting to the end. So like, I need to start uh, looking for postdoc positions soon. And I think I first started doing this at a few of the Canadian conferences because I did my PhD in Canada. And uh, people were like, oh, okay, that's great. But like, didn't really go any further. So I was thinking, mm-hmm. like, okay, well, maybe people here, even if they're interested in my work, um, don't necessarily have a position for me right now. Um, the other thing is, uh, one thing that I thought was a challenge as I was looking for a postdoc was that a lot of my PhD um, studies had not been published yet. So even though I presented at a lot of conferences, we were a little bit delayed in actually getting that work out and, and published. So I didn't think I was going to be a good candidate for postdoc funding, um, no matter if I applied in the US or in Canada. Mm. So I was really looking, trying to find a position where they would have funding for me, at least for the first year, until I could get some more of that stuff out and apply for my own funding. So I, I guess a little side tip was that for those of you that are still graduate students, don't wait, try to get your publications out quickly. Mm. Um, it only gets harder if you wait on those things. Uh, but I continued then talking to some other people at other conferences. Um, I talked to some people at the ORSI conference, which is the big osteoarthritis conference, um, both just informally networking with some people that I knew as well as at the mentorship sessions. And I did kind of have a few leads from that. Um, including one that was going to be more of like a switch back to animal models, which I looked at in my very first uh, research project as an undergraduate. Um, And while those were interesting, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to go in that direction. Um, So I actually ended up finding my current postdoc position um, in a post on Twitter. So I wouldn't say that I'm a prolific Twitter user. Uh, (laughs) However, it can be very useful. Um, And I think I had mentioned, Melissa, to you earlier that I had found my PhD position on the Biomech L listserv. So both uh, really great sources for jobs um, or graduate student or postdoc positions if you're looking for those kinds of things. I love how you talked about this sort of mix of talking to people, using your network and like putting your feelers out there, but also being aware on, you know, taking advantage of these tools like Twitter and Biomech L and these great resources that you talked about prolific, the proliferation there just can't compare to what you're maybe exposed to just talking person to person. So they they supplement each other yeah. nicely, it sounds like. Yeah, I think I, I also had a lot of great people that I talked to and they were really helpful. And some of them tried to point me to other people who were maybe looking for a postdoc. And I also think your mentors are a good source as well. Um, for me, Again, like we were a little bit slow in getting out some of my PhD research. I think we were just so excited about it that we just kept going and like, we're like, oh, right, I should probably finish here soon and like move on to the the next step. So we, um, I think I really kind of took a lead in like pushing that out and like getting myself out the door and trying to find the next position. And uh, my mentors probably could have helped me a little bit more if I had asked them for that. So that's also, especially for people that maybe haven't been to as many conferences, that can be a great uh, resource as well. Yeah, conferences are my favorite way to kind of get to know the community. Um, <laughs> yeah. So now now that you're in your postdoc, we're wondering what is it like? Um, it feels kind of like, at least to me as a graduate student looking at it, this sort of in-between space where you're not a student anymore, but you're not a faculty member or primary investigator. So just could you share what your experience with what that's been like for you? Yeah, um, I came into uh, my per- current position 
um, in the Movement and Applied Imaging Lab is like a relatively young lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I started, we had a few PhD students that were also just starting, oh, wow. um, as well as some undergrads. And then since then, we've had you know another PhD student come in, a few more master students go through, and things like that. But so our our lab is relatively young. So. Um, coming in, I, I was one of the more senior people and there wasn't necessarily like a, a senior PhD student. Um, so I have had, what's been kind of nice is that I have had a chance to take a little bit of a leadership and mentoring role there. Um, with, uh, even just informally talking to some of the students because we share the office that's just off the lab. Um, and then my, uh, supervisor Deepak Kumar has been really good about trying to protect some of my time so that I can really focus mm-hmm. on like getting publications out and things like that. So I haven't had to do as many uh, gate data collections or other co- data collections mm-hmm. in the lab. Like I help out sometimes as needed. Um, like during COVID, there was a, a procedure where we weren't allowed to be within fif- uh, within six feet of someone for more than 15 minutes, even if we were in full protective gear. So we kind of split up the entire data collection and we had different people coming in to do different sections. So like mm-hmm. I would come in and do just, just one part of that and then would leave and somebody else would do the next part. So a lot of small things like that. Um, but otherwise, I've really been able to focus just on running some analyses and writing and, and things like that, which has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, I also obviously am not taking classes right now, although I, I did take a couple machines learning courses online um, just through like Coursera and Udemy but I don't have to spend a lot of time on classes and I also haven't um, had to teach much either I've done like a couple one-off presentations for the students in the PhD programs or the graduate programs in our department but I otherwise haven't had to do that Mm. and then just one last thing Um, so in that lab I'm like one of the more senior members but then I also have another appointment in the section of rheumatology at the Boston University School of Medicine. So this is mostly like clinicians, MDs, um, fellows, and then like the postdocs are some of the like most junior members. So that's been a really good balance for me to be able to get some of that more senior mentorship alongside being able to have a chance to maybe mentor some other younger students who are um, some of whom are like just really getting started in research. Hmm. What does it mean to have an appointment in the Department of Rheumatology versus just collaborating with those in that department? Yeah, so I I don't know. I guess I'm not sure if that's necessarily the right term. I When I first started, I was put onto a T32 fellowship, which was mm. within the section of rheumatology. But like my primary appointment was in this movement and applied imaging lab, which was in the physical therapy and athletic training department, which is actually on a, a different campus too. So like I spend one day of week, one day a week there, um, get to meet with some of the mentors over there. We have like a weekly meeting. Uh, so it is, it is a collaboration. I think it just, um, in some ways sort of like a shared mentorship and I'm not exactly sure how, how formal it is. I, ha- I have since yeah, gotten yeah. My, <laughs> own, my own funding and now my funding is administered through physical therapy and um, athletic training department. So like, I, I don't know if I've like officially switched, switched departments or not or what. So that, it, yeah, I don't know if that's, that fully answers your question, but that's no, kind that's of the helpful. situation. <laughs> and for those who don't know maybe what a T32 is, could you just give a quick summary maybe of what that is and then the, the sure. funding you're on now is that a specific like postdoctoral fellowship funding that you applied for yeah. during your postdoc these are um my current grant that i'm on is an f32 um so the f32 and the t32 are both postdoctoral 
training awards through the NIH. The difference is the T32 is um, a training grant, so it's awarded to like a department, for example, and then they might have a certain number of slots that they can fill and, and pay the postdocs out of that. Um, the F32 is an individual award, so I applied for this um, with a research project in mind and like a training plan and all of that. Um, and so that's an individual fellowship for me that, that I was awarded. I'm curious, I just wanted to ask one last question about being a postdoc. Um, thanks for sharing sort of all those also logistical things and also thinking about, um, I feel like when I, when I, if I'm thinking about doing a postdoc, I think majorly about, oh, how can I like get teaching or mentoring experience, but less necessarily about getting senior mentorship. So that's a really good point, I think, to bring up. Um, but I'm also wondering about your work-life balance and if that looks different as mm -hmm. a postdoc, because I think I've heard some inklings of like, oh, you end up working a lot more or just because you're so focused. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm just wondering how that yeah. experience has been for you. Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I think it kind of depends on the person too. And even going back to your earlier point about you thinking about it and saying you might want more teaching experience, like I think you can work with your future mentor to figure out what you need. So for me, I really wanted to get some of those, like, beef up my the research side of my CV, um, where I had a lot of teaching and mentoring experiences already. Um, so I, I wanted to do that and, and worked with Deepak to set up time for me to really try to work on a lot of different projects and, and get some of those that research out the door. Um, in terms of work life balance, again, like, I was truly trying to like work hard because I wanted to move towards getting a job. So I don't know that I'm like a great example. Well, I don't know. I'm probably a more, more realistic example. But, um, especially for the first the first couple years I was here, my partner was still living in Canada um, and he only recently moved here. So um, I think I, I was like, okay, well, in the time that we're apart, I'm going to really focus on trying to advance in my career um, so that once we get back together, we can uh, in the same location, we can have some more time for that work-life balance. So I, I think I probably would say that I work fewer like weekends and evenings now than I did before. But at the same time, I'm kind of getting to the end of my postdoc here and I'm starting to get towards like moving towards job applications. And so it's, it is starting to ramp up again a little bit in a way. That's exciting, though. Yeah. What has been your strategy for uh, after your postdoc now applying to jobs? Is it you know similarly networking um, or you know checking Twitter and other resources <laughs> for job openings or what has that been like? Yeah, so definitely doing some networking, keeping an eye out on again like BiomechL, Twitter, other places that I might see jobs posted. Mm -hmm. um, I have not yet applied for any, although I have a few in mind that I might be applying for soon. Um, the other thing, again, there's always, I feel like there's always this weird kind of balance when you go to apply for your next position where it's like you want to have funding to be able to apply for your next position and be a really like good candidate for that. But then it's some of the funding mechanisms, it's like you can't even apply for them until you have the position because you need to set up like your whole mentoring network with all of your collaborators and things like that. So that's, that's been a bit of a challenge. So I'm kind of trying to balance thinking about, um, I mean, as you would normally, but think about like what my next few research projects are going to be, so that I could at least start writing my next grant, while also applying for these positions and have it being able to write a research statement about what I plan to do with my career in the next five years or so. And as you're thinking about those next 
projects that you might want to work on. Is that coming from past projects that you've had where or your what you're most interested in or where you see the most, you know, potential funding? Or how are you getting ideas for what's next in terms of research? Yeah, um, also a good question. Again, not an expert in this right now, working on it. Um, <laughs> I think kind of all of the above, um, but maybe a little bit less on like, where's the, like, what's going to be a good thing for funding? Mm-hmm. Um, only because, I, you know, I think that the research areas that I'm heading in are, are good, relevant questions and not necessarily that they're, you know, the most mm. fundable questions uh, per se. I think that just trying to build on what I'm doing now and continue with like skills that I have already acquired, but also sort of forge like my own path and my own area that I'm going to go into, which is, to be honest, like kind of challenging and, and intimidating in a way as well, but working on it. It seems very challenging and intimidating from an outside perspective. And so I'm sure actually being in that position where you're doing that. Um, but I'll be excited to see where it takes you. I'm sure um, the next step will be really great for you. Something that I also really like about your research is that it's taken you all around the world. Um, you did a Fel- Fulbright Fellowship in the Netherlands, your PhD in Canada, and now your postdoc in Boston. And I'm sure, you know, other places too. And I've, I've always been really passionate about traveling and meeting new people to gain different perspectives. And I'm curious how you think taking on research roles in different places around the world has shaped your views as a researcher, but also maybe as a, as a person too. Yeah, so uh, first of all, definitely agree with you that traveling is a great thing to do. Um, I would strongly recommend that people take advantage of opportunities to do research anywhere outside of where they currently are. So if they can go internationally, that's great. But even just going to another lab and getting a different perspective on how people do research differently in different labs or even, you know, um, like being in, in biomechanics and osteoarthritis, I've kind of crossed over between labs that were more engineering focused and ones that were more like clinical focused. So even being able to see some of those differences is really important too. Um, but I had a really awesome experience um, in the Netherlands specifically. That was kind of my first research abroad experience. And one of the things I noticed, um, again, this is just speaking from my own experience, not necessarily about Dutch culture as a whole, but this is my interpretation of Dutch culture was that uh, it was a very collaborative environment and also people um, seem to be less focused on like there's that one right path and like if you fall off of that you're screwed. It seemed like more um, people have a lot of different interests and uh, research may be just one of those and despite this like what I perceived as a more relaxed environment, there's actually a lot of great research coming out of the department I was in, as well as, you know, the country as a whole. And I know, you know, for being such a small country, there's a huge uh, Dutch representation at Orsi every year. Um, So that's, that's a a good sign that they're doing great stuff and great work there. Oh, another thing that is um, important Uh, or that I've found useful in terms of going abroad is that I've been exposed to different healthcare systems. Um, So particularly in Canada, where they have socialized healthcare, the way that people are accessing care for osteoarthritis is is different. Um, So for example, uh, because anyone can go and get healthcare um, that's going to be covered by the government, 
the waitlist times for a total knee arthroplasty could be up to three years in some cases, which is like a really long time to be living with like the severe pain and uh, physical limitations that you may have if your osteoarthritis is bad enough that you're getting put on a waitlist for a knee replacement. Um, there's a lot of good things to that as well, but it's also just interesting to think about that in the context of understanding uh, how research is impacting healthcare. So that's that's also been um, one other thing that I've enjoyed learning about in terms of going to different countries. Yeah, what a multidimensional learning experience, I think, from, yeah, like culture to um, how things are actually implemented to how we view research. Um, I think it's important to have all of those. And it kind of goes along with the research you were talking about that you're currently doing, taking that multidimensional approach, like let's not just do this the way that we've been trained to do this or traditionally done this. So I love that it, yeah. you can kind of see how it's reflected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, so we mentioned before that you started the HeyOA podcast and mm-hmm. you are interviewing people within the field of osteoarthritis and research on topics ranging from new research to clinical care, policy, knowledge, translation, and career paths. So again, a multidimensional approach to a podcast. (laughs) Um, And I know we've learned a lot listening to your podcast. Melissa brings it up often in our chats about our podcasts. And so I'm curious, um, from your experience as a host, what is something that you've learned that you didn't expect to along the way? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I had started the podcast, I think about four years ago now, uh, as part, I was a a member of the ORSI Young Investigator Committee. um, And you serve a four year term on the committee. And each year, there's kind of like a different role that that you have. Um, There's like two people that come in each new year, and then they each have a different role or responsibility. But then the last year, um, I was just kind of like a floater, and so I just kind of help out wherever I, I need, it was needed. And there, you know, we had a really great team, so a lot of people were already working on their things, and they didn't really need that much help. So at that time, a lot of the focus was on the annual conference. Uh, it's the big event, so we'd have a pre-Congress debate and like a mentorship session um, and a social event and different things happening at the actual conference, which was great for all the people that could make it to the conference. Um, I should also point out that I was the only, at the time, I was the only PhD student on this Young Investigator Committee, so ORC had defined this as anyone under the age of 40. So there were people that were postdocs, there were people that were new professors, um, and there weren't as many graduate students, well, at that time, I was the only one um, on the committee. uh, And I was really cognizant of the fact that not everyone could make it to these conferences. And I wanted to try to set up something that people could access, even if they couldn't be at the Congress, but then also that they could access more regularly throughout the year, because I had such a great time every time I went to this conference. And I was like, I wish there was more, I wish there was more content. Um, Since then, especially now with the pandemic, they've really done a lot of awesome things um, within the organization to provide more content throughout the year. Um, But at the time, I wanted to set up this podcast to kind of bring that to more people. So that was sort of my goals those were my goals kind of going into it. Um, but one thing that worked out well for me that I wasn't necessarily expecting was that in trying to interview people across all different research areas, 
Um, I think I, I mean, again, my, my opinion, but I feel like I've gotten better at asking questions, especially about topics that like, I really don't know much about. And I didn't necessarily at first feel comfortable asking about, um, and all of the guests have been like really amazing and really smart people. Uh, so I've gotten to learn about a lot of different aspects of OA that are outside of biomechanics. They might be bone biology or pain sensing or some sort of like cell signaling. And I, I didn't necessarily know about all those things beforehand. So it's been a great way for me to try to get more familiar and more comfortable with some of these other aspects of this disease that are important. I think that definitely resonates in terms of getting to meet so many amazing people and, and learning so much and, and that being really, and also learning how to ask questions. It was so funny because the other day my roommate was like, I, I'm doing an informational interview for a potential internship and I was wondering if you have any tips and I was like, I don't know, I don't do informational interviews and then I was like, oh wait, <laughs> I literally do those all the time. <laughs> so that's been just a, a fun fun learning experience in both both ways on that. Something that I feel like we connect with on the podcast too, or our podcasts are similar with, is that they're both pretty niche, but I'm curious if researchers that don't study osteoarthritis, what they can still learn from your podcast, even though it might be specifically focused on, on that research. Yeah, um, I would say yes. I think it's going to depend on, on their interests uh, and what specific episodes they're listening to. So like some of them are pretty heavily geared towards osteoarthritis, but there's been some... Um, and like, like you guys mentioned earlier, uh, there's some information kind of scattered throughout in terms of career paths and just research generally, but also there's been some on topics that might be more widely applicable, like knowledge translation or pain signaling that uh, we were talking about in the context of OA, but could some of the skills could definitely be translated to other areas of research. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that resonated a lot with Orsi as well because I think it was so fun to see, you know, in one session people focusing more on cellular mechanisms and then on the next session, you know, biomechanics and then the next one it was impacts in terms of e economic impacts of mm -hmm. osteoarthritis. And sometimes I think too with biomechanics, a lot of times we're thinking on the, the full like, human body scale, but there are so many other um, areas to look into and other impacts that it might have. So it's been really inspiring to kind of see that full range in osteoarthritis research and think about how that can be applied in biomechanics. Yeah, I know. I always think too, like I try to spread around the the topic areas of people that I'm interviewing, and I assume you two do the same as well. But I sometimes I'm like, oh, if I could just invite all of my biomechanics friends who do osteoarthritis research, then I would put out like, you know, an episode every day. It'd be great. We'd just be chatting. It'd be a lot of fun. But I've really learned a lot from talking to people that do work in these other areas. Like, um, I actually don't know that we've had someone necessarily on healthcare policy. Um, there was one close to that on. Uh, TKA and kind of government oversight of that. Um, but yeah, I think learning about some of these other topics is, is really interesting and also kind of makes you or reminds you to kind of keep all of those larger impacts of the disease in mind when you're doing biomechanics research. I'm wondering, like, seeing it, you have quite a diversity of episodes. I feel like we definitely have that on, on Boom in our podcast, and we've experienced a range of conversations. Usually we end the episode and we're like, oh my gosh, that was such a good conversation. This That was so exciting. This was amazing. Um, 
And there's just so some of those conversations where, yeah, you just feel so inspired. Um, wondering if you have a favorite episode or a conversation that resonated with you particularly. Yeah, uh, I think that's a tough question because there have been so many good ones. Right. Like, I don't think there was ever one where I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Like, they were, all the guests have been really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think I learned a lot from certain ones that like I really appreciated. So the the guests um, had a nice way of speaking. So two of those ones were the one on pain with Tuhin and Yoji, and then also the one on uh, knowledge translation with Krishia Jejic, mm. who also recently came back with a few other of her colleagues to talk about a repository they're working on for um, online OA management program. So that was really cool to have her back, even though she was like one of the earliest guests on the podcast. Um, and then I also, one of them, the, I think the most recent episode that I had released um, was talking to Dr. Kelsey Collins, who's also a postdoc. Um, and she actually came from a biomechanics background and now does stuff that's more on the biology side of things. So um, it's always just great to talk to her. That was talking about her most recent publication, which is also kind of a format I hadn't done before. So I enjoyed that one a lot because we were talking about a publication, but it just felt very conversational and um, we could like connect on a lot of levels because of her biomechanics background as well. But yeah, I, I don't think I can pick a favorite because really all have been great. <laughs> totally yeah, I fair. don't think we could either. <laughs> it's so interesting to learn about all the different topics that you're talking about and also knowledge translation and something I really appreciate too about the osteoarthritis research is really trying to get information out to people, whether that's like through websites or apps and, and really educating people on the topic. Um, I think it's really useful because it is like a medical problem, but I think that's something that in all areas of research we could definitely use some more of is, is how to translate information and education to yeah. people not and, in science. And not just that too, but also trying to involve like some of those stakeholders in your study right. design. So, you know, right. we're asking people to come into a gate lab, basically wear no clothes, get poked and prodded for a <laughs> bunch of times, and then walk across the room and, like, do a bunch of other activities that are going to cause them pain. And, like, right. it can be really helpful depending on what the study is to try to get some, like, patient advocates that are going to to work with you mm-hmm. to, to sit, tell you, like, yeah, I think that's fine for you to ask someone to, to do these things or like, I don't know, that's kind of asking a little bit much of, of people. And uh, mm. then it, it's also nice to just get them involved in the research. And so again, that's something that I, I learned. Um, I had some knowledge of that, but like I learned a lot more by talking to her on that episode. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point there where Hannah and I have talked about having people that we're designing for in in the process or especially when it comes to needs finding but I really like this idea too where also when you're designing your experiments testing that with the people who will be doing the experiments to making making sure that it feels okay to them and yeah keeping them along in the entire process of research so Mm -hmm. thanks for bringing that up and thanks for sharing all of your insights on from being a postdoc to doing international research and and your podcast hey away and if people want to learn more about your work and also if they want to listen to hey away how can they do that yeah um so hey away is on most of the major podcast sites like i know this the names keep changing but like the big ones like apple podcasts <laughs> google podcasts spotify all those um you can also find it on the orsi website at oarsi.org and um we do have a twitter account uh for the podcast it's hey oa podcast so h-e-y-o-a podcast um i also have my own twitter account at k-e costello c-o-s-t 
T-E-L-L-O. This is a big spelling test here. Um, <laughs> I think you can also find me, like, I, I have, um, you know, a LinkedIn page and ResearchGate and all of those ones. So I think if you if you search for me on, on Google or uh, uh, Google me plus osteoarthritis, you, you'll probably find those. <laughs> That's reminding me of a funny story of a guest that I had previously on an episode and and I had asked, you know, where can I find more information about her? And and she said, oh, I think, you, you know, you can Google me. And we were like, okay, like, that's great. And then afterwards, she messaged me and was like, did that sound too pretentious? And I was like, no, I mean, I feel like that was quite, quite a realistic answer. Like, if I was going to try to find you, yeah. that's, what, that's where I would look for you. So, um, yeah, I guess Google me. <laughs> but maybe add osteoarthritis if you can't find me. So. I'm happy to chat with anyone who who wants to talk more about my research to send me a message through one of those platforms. Awesome. Thanks for being willing to do that. That means a lot. And we'll finish up with our last question. Um, What are you excited about for the future of biomechanics, rehabilitation, osteoarthritis, you name it? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like there's so much exciting stuff going on right now. Uh, Like, I don't even necessarily know where to start. Um, One thing that that I'm thinking about more and more is trying to get out of the gay lab and get into the natural environment. So possibly with wearable technology and trying to figure out what are the loads people are experiencing every day in their life. Um, so that might be one thing. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of others, but yeah, feeling, feeling good about that. Excited to, to move on, um, to my own career and, uh, Mm -hmm might be heading more back towards an engineering department. Um, I've been, you know, closer to like physical therapy and, and other things recently to try to get some clinical experience. But I think maybe I fit more in that, like, uh, more technical engineering department. But who knows? We'll see. I, you know, I've done both. So, um, yeah, lots of things to be excited about. And, oh, and of course, excited to hear more Boom episodes yes. from now on so I can learn more about all the great <laughs> of <course>. <laughs> Yes, thanks for uh, a little promo on the podcast, of the podcast. <laughs> well, we're obviously excited to hear more AOA and excited to follow your work and also see where these next uh, steps take you. Really excited to see where you end up after your postdoc and we'll have to keep Definitely. in touch. And yeah, I'm sure I'll see you at conferences and things like that. But yeah, thanks so much for, for chatting with us and for all of your awesome advice and insight. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you so much for the invite. Thank you for listening to Biomechanics on Our Minds. I'm Hannah. And I'm Melissa. Thanks to the International Society of Biomechanics for supporting the podcast and to Peter Washington for creating all the music you hear on Boom. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at BiomechanicsOOM and on Instagram and Facebook at Biomechanics on Our Minds. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, want to share new biomechanics research or research fail, Want to host your own episode or be involved in the making of Boom? Or just say hi. You can reach out to us at any of our social media platforms or send us an email at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com. Biomechanics, Biomechanics off, off our minds. minds.